Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time of day it is. Welcome to the Potato Camera Power Hour here on Collider Dailies. I'm John Algets, and joining me once again is Maggie Lovett. Maggie, how was your holiday? Um, filled with work. <laughs> That's always such, such is life uh, in the in the news lane. <laughs> That's always fun. That's always what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Even my favorite journalist over at like uh, like CNN were on all day yesterday, so I felt like I was in good company. All the newsies working hard. Yeah, that is just life in this job that we chose for ourselves. But uh, true. today we get to at least have some fun. So there is that because today we are starting our week long thing that we're doing here on dailies, which is basically we're going to be looking at our top insert topic here's from uh throughout the year today we are going to be talking about our top ships that one is uh is tailor-made for maggie there we're we talking about our top games i feel like you all know the answer to that one and uh before we get into all that we're going to talk about our top shows of the year so let's just go ahead and dive right into that maggie hit me with hit me with the first one that you want to talk about at the very least um, I feel like I would be uh, like sorely disappointing everybody who knows me if one of my TV shows that was the top ones for this year wasn't Star Trek Picard season three. Uh, I absolutely loved the entire series, but in particular season three just hit on so many of the things that like I love about Star Trek. Uh, I thought it was a great kind of final chapter for that story for that series. Um, it finished up a lot of things from the, you know, the next generation, which was great. Uh, it introduced a bunch of new characters, uh, literally the next generation of the next generation, which I really loved. Uh, and it really just makes me want uh, Paramount to listen to the fans and give us Star Trek Legacy, uh, which I will never uh, pass up an opportunity to talk about the fact that we need that show and we need Terry Madalis to be the one 
bringing it to us. Uh, so yeah, Star Trek Picard season three, that was definitely one of my favorite shows of 2023. But now I want to know what is one of your favorite shows from 2023? You know, I was also going to talk about Picard season three. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> because like, listen, here's the thing. Uh, I've said this on dailies before. This is not like a fresh hot take or anything, but I wasn't the biggest <laughs> fan of seasons one and two. Uh, that is putting it nicely. I didn't I didn't think that they were all that good. Uh, but season three, I went into it with honestly low expectations and was absolutely blown away. Uh, and it became one of my favorite things of the year. I still will occasionally like if I'm if I'm feeling kind of low energy, I will rewatch certain clips from that show from that season to like get myself hyped up again. Uh, oh, I love that. <laughs> I feel like if you watch the season, you probably know which moments I'm specifically talking about. Uh, but it's just, it's so, it's so good. So entertaining. Something that I just absolutely loved and adored. And it made me so happy as somebody who grew up watching the next generation. Like to me, that is, that is Star Trek to me. Like all the other seasons and every, or shows and everything are good, but next generation is the primary Star Trek show for me. Uh, so of course, I was going to love season three of Picard. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also like somebody I love Next Generation and I also love Voyager and Seven of Nine was always like my favorite character on Voyager. So the fact that she was a, like an ever present member of the entire Picard, you know, series was everything to me because I love her so much. I love Jerry Ryan so much. She see, I like Seven of Nine. She was not my favorite Voyager character, but this season did give us an appearance of my favorite Voyager character, which is Tuvok. Oh, I love Tuvok. I was so happy when he showed up. Oh, yeah. That that made me incredibly happy. It made me smile very much. Uh, so, you know, of course, Picard season three had to be on there. But uh, bringing in another spot, I feel like as a colossal nerd that I am, if I didn't bring up Power Rangers Cosmic Fury, uh, <laughs> I would be uh, disappointing a few people. Was this great television? No. Was it fun television? 100% yes. It is a, everything you would expect from a Power Rangers season. Corny as all get out, goofy characters, kind of stilted writing, but in the most fun way possible. For a 30th season of the show, it hit all of the major marks that I would have liked, except for it would have been great if there were a few more like returning Rangers and stuff. But you know what? I understand the nature of uh, television and filmmaking and all that sort of stuff and understanding that that doesn't always happen, but it was still a ton of fun. It was one of those things that when it came out, I stayed up all night and I binge watched all of the episodes, which was easy because this season, as opposed to other Power Rangers seasons, there were only 10 episodes. So uh, it was easy, <laughs> of course, to get through. And of course you got to give some, some love to the fact that it was the first season with a season long female red ranger which is you know a colossal moment in the fandom uh kind of a bummer though that it looks like that might be the end of at least this continuity of power rangers uh or no word on getting another season anytime soon so i guess we'll just have to wait for whatever comes next but i still enjoyed it quite a bit I have had a very hard time engaging with Power Rangers stuff after uh, Jason David Frank's death earlier this year. That one like hit really hard. He was like my favorite Power Ranger. Yeah. I loved Power Rangers growing up. Like I met him at Awesome Con a few years ago. Uh, that was like such a hard death this year. So I have not been able to engage with Power Ranger stuff, even though like I've heard so many good things about that 
series. Like you're not the first person I've heard to be like, yeah. was it good? No. Was it fun? Yes. It um, was. So I feel that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this series, you definitely felt it, but I, I feel like uh, the once and always special is where you really felt the weight of his passing. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where the Power Rangers community, especially around his passing, rallied so hard and unified so hard that there was it was sad, but in like a hopeful kind of way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I get so. that. Maggie, what's, uh, what else you got for me? Okay, so this is a show that came in kind of late into the year, uh, and I did two interviews for it over on Collider Interview, so you should go check those out afterwards. Um, but I absolutely loved The Artful Dodger. Uh, it was one of the most surprising shows of 2023 for me. I like, I love Dickens. I studied Dickens in college. It's like one of my favorite, like, kind of genres of, of Brit, Brit lit, essentially. I love different adaptations of Charles Dickens' work. Um, and I have a particular soft spot for Oliver Twist. And I was like really excited to see this because it, it seemed like like a continuation of the Artful Dodger story. And of course, everybody loves the Artful Dodger. Like, sure, Oliver Twist is cool and all, but like, you love the art for Dolger. Uh, and I, so I kind of came into this expecting like uh, him as an adult, like dealing with things and like, I don't know, I had very different expectations when I came into it, but it blew my mind. It was so much better than I even like imagined. Um, it's all about his life in like Australia and he went on to become a surgeon and like, it's just this whole thing. And then like Fagin comes in and there are other Oliver Twist characters that show up in the back half of season one. And it is just, so good and I think that it is hopefully going to get a season two because I, at least in like judging fandom stuff like that's I always try to look to see like how people are engaging with these kind of shows outside of just watching it and if you look on YouTube there are like fan videos for like one of the the couples and it uh, that has like 50,000 views and it was like only two days old. So like a lot of people are looking for content about the show. Even my interview with like Thomas Brody Sangster was like over 10,000 views. And like, I, ooh, that just blew my mind. Cause I, I wasn't thinking people were going to jump on this as quickly as they did. And it was just so good. If you like historical dramas, if you like historical romance, and if you like like the weird, like surgical practices of like the 19th century, this is like perfect for any of those people. And it's just so good. And David Thewlis's Fagan is just chef's kiss. I love the show so much. I cannot stop recommending it enough. It is so good. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it. It's not really my kind of show, but you know, maybe maybe It'll I'll surprise kinda, you. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go out of my my comfort zone and watch it. Uh my top show of the year though, the one that hits my number 1 spot is I feel like no surprise to anybody who watches dailies. It's the fall of the house of Usher. Uh, this show was just absolutely brilliant for context. I don't have, I don't watch many shows because I just don't have the time really to commit to how long shows tend to be as opposed to something like movies. So when I tell you that I watched The Fall of the House of Usher three times since it came out in October, that should tell you how much I enjoy this series. Not just enjoy, how much I love this series. Fantastic writing, fantastic acting from top to bottom. It is just an absolutely brilliant series. And to me, an example of what can be done when you have some of the most talented people in the business all working together all passionately trying to create something 
and having from some solid direction from beginning to end. It is magnificent. I cannot recommend it enough to anyone and everyone. Uh, whether you have a high tolerance for horror or not, it is something that you should 100% check out. Maggie, what are your what's your what's your top or and or your thoughts on the fall of House of Usher? I think it's really excellent. I love Mike Flanagan. He is like one of my favorite uh, filmmakers right now, or at least television makers right now. Um, I've I've loved all of them from Haunting to Blythe to this. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does next. Um, I'm a, I am very sad that his partnership with Netflix has kind of come to an end because uh, I, I have been very partial to that like Flaniverse. Uh, but I guess the Flaniverse is still continuing in a different form. And I am excited for that. Uh, his next project seems really exciting. Um, so I will I will preface this was saying that like my list was not in order from like the like the the third to the first it was kind of like no no specific order these are just three shows that like i really loved this year um so my third one that i'm going to bring up is the gilded age uh i binged the first two seasons um of course season two was airing kind of at that time uh so i binged it right up until the uh, season two finale uh so I, I caught up just in time to be there that sunday for the final episodes for season two and i just i love the show so much i am a big fan of julian fellow's work with downton abbey and some of his other series um there's a certain level of like comfort to his storytelling because i never feel like he is going to pull the wool um like over our eyes or like pull a blanket out from underneath of us like the way that he tells stories feels very true to like the time periods that they are kind of encapsulated within and he seems to understand what audiences want from TV shows, which is something that I like Downton Abbey is still like incredibly rewatchable because you like there's a certain comfort to it. Uh, and so I really like the fact that the Gilded Age feels like even better storytelling. Like he's he's even learned from the things that were already excellent and delivered something that's like just so good. And some of the stuff that happened in like the season two finale was just like, yes, like complete wish fulfillment um, for what like you see as you're watching season one and season two. And then it got renewed for season three. So I'm very excited. But I'm also like, I love Gilded Age for another reason too. So there is a house in New York um, in the Hudson Valley called Lindhurst, which was used uh, as uh, Collinsport, uh, the Collinwood Manor in um, Dark Shadows in the 80s. Uh, and it's also used in the Gilded Age. And it's like one of my favorite historic properties. Um, they even follow me on Instagram. Uh, and they use it for a lot of the locations. And so it just brings me a lot of joy that like this show that I really love is also filmed in a place that I really love, uh, which is just peak corny, cheesy Maggie for you. But yeah, I, I love the Gilded Age and the hot train daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is yet another series that that i haven't watched it's not again it's not and it doesn't seem like something you're gonna watch i'm like i i appreciate you saying you'll add it to your list but like i here's the thing I, I, i've had this conversation with you i am a little <laughs> bit more likely to watch this one because i actually did watch downton abbey and i do love okay downton abbey so okay like although that largely comes down to the fact that i just absolutely adore mr bates like Okay. Every aspect of okay, that character no. is so lovely. Now I want to know, can you guess who my favorite character was on Downton Abbey? You've known me for a few months now. Like, can you guess who my favorite was? I'm going to say Thomas. Yes, Thomas Bear is my favorite. Yeah. He's my beloved. <laughs> I have there's so many posts where like every time there was a new Downton Abbey movie, I was like, if anything bad happens, I was like the Kirby with the knife. 
if anything bad happens to Thomas Barrow, <laughs> I'm I'm here. I uh, I love that man. I didn't like Thomas the first season, but he grew on me as as the show went on. He's um, so tragic. Like that man has never had a day of happiness in his life. But he's very much, so much he's very much presented as an antagonistic figure early on. Oh, yeah. And then like he kind of I think he gets his ass kicked a little bit and gets some sense put like, into it. Yeah. I mean the whole getting sent to war does uh put a damper on your uh conniving ways. <laughs> you would you would at least hope so. <laughs> so those are our top Lady Mary. There's just so many, so many things about Down Abbey that I just so good. So those are our top shows of 2023, and also a additional little discussion on Downton Abbey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on, we're going to be going on to our top ships, which actually this is one that I actually only have one answer for because I'm not really much of a shipper. Like I don't really do that very much. Um, it's just never been something that I've done. I've never been like. I don't know, just never really. But I do have one, one that uh, I feel like was presented as as something that is a, a kind of mm, presented as a like, hey, if we if we do this in the future, this is going to be a thing, and that is uh, uh, on on Star Trek Picard, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jack Crusher, and uh, Sydney the Forge <laughs> is, is it on your list. <laughs> Number one, yes. Yes. Uh, those two were just so fun together, especially when they were doing that scene where they were uh, installing the cloaking device in yes. <laughs> under the Titan. Their chemistry and everything about the way that they were playing off of each other was just so brilliant. I loved it so much that I just want to see more of it. Same. Same. That is like the, my driving force for like, obviously, I want Star Trek Legacy for a variety of reasons. There's like so much stuff that like is both public knowledge and like not that like I just like want to see on screen. And I want to see them like that. That was like such a, like a taste of something that now I'm like, wh when am I going to have the full meal? When am I getting the ship like actually on my screen? Paramount, come on. We want this. I feel like. And also, I love I love Esbelier so much. I love Ashley. Like they both were so good in season three. And I want to see not only the ship, but to see their characters get to do more. Cause like, I just, they're so good. I feel like even if, so like if we get legacy, even if they don't wind up being like an actual, like romantic couple, they're going to make just absolutely brilliant on-screen friends that are just going to be fun to watch exactly. no matter what they're doing. Exactly. Um, so of course, that was going to be the one. If I was going to talk about any ship on this episode, it was going to be that. <laughs> I love that. Maggie, <laughs> I'm so glad we were in alignment there. <laughs> so, Maggie, go ahead and hit me with the other ones that you have, because I presume that you probably have a lot. <laughs> I, so, surprisingly, I have just a lot that have, like, persisted from, like, previous years. So, I wouldn't classify them as, like, a 2023 ship. So, those are not on my list. I strictly stuck to shows that came out this year that had the ships that I liked in them. And um, surprisingly, they are, are from both The Artful Dodger and Gilded Age. You know, so my ships are all from the three shows that I love this year. Um, you know, if you give me ships, if you give me ships, I will love you even more. Uh, so, for The Artful Dodger, I loved Jack Dawkins' relationship with Lady Bell. It was so nice to see it actually play out because at first we only got the first four episodes so then when i interviewed like thomas i was like trying to get him to like give information about it because at that point like 
I don't trust most TV shows to actually have any sort of like relationships because oh, yeah, television here lately has just mostly been sexless. And I mean that not like having, you know, things, relations on screen, but just like there's no chemistry. Like even when people have chemistry, it's not played out. And I have found that really frustrating. So I mostly go into TV and movies thinking that there's going to be nothing and I'm going to have to conjure it up, um, you know, in the land of fiction afterwards. But they actually paid off this relationship like they established it built it and then like there was great payoff for jack and bell's relationship so that instantly landed on my list i love them i love seeing how much like romance shippers are enjoying this as somebody who reads a lot of historical romance it was really great to see that kind of relationship that you usually only see in like historical novels actually get to play out in a tv show that's like on Hulu and like popular. So that was really fun. Uh, and then for my, my third ship, um, is one that came about in the, um, season finale of Gilded Age, uh, which was Larry and Marion finally kissing. When I first started watching the show, I didn't really know where things were going in season two. I kind of had some ideas because obviously I read things that are on Collider.com, but I didn't really know. And I kind of clocked in the first couple of episodes that they seemed like a couple that Julian Fellows would eventually play out. Um, but then like some stuff happened at the start of season two where it was like, hmm, Maybe that's not going to happen um, for both of their characters. Like Marion ends up engaged to somebody and, and Larry's having a fling with an older lady. And I was like, mm, this is probably not going to happen, but it happened. And I'm, I'm very happy and I'm ready for season three to see that play out. And if either of them get into car accidents, Julian Fellows, <laughs> not again. Don't play me again. That And like reminding myself like the titanic is a thing that will happen in about like 10 years because it's the gilded age and like the asters are around and we know that the aster sun dies on the titanic so i'm like julian don't do it <laughs> i'm oh. watching you oh it's gonna happen <laughs> i'm watching you if it goes for long um, enough it's going to happen i don't doubt it. i know well it, they would need to go for like another like 10 seasons so Unless i'm hoping that like yeah i am afraid of that i am very afraid of that Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Like, I know Julian Fellow's mind. I've watched all of his work. I know how he operates. <sighs> but yeah, so I love them. I was really happy that that happened. Um, they smooched and I was very happy. It made me very happy. <laughs> See, to your point about like TV being like sexless or romanceless lately, I'm a Power Rangers fan, so I'm pretty much used to that. I don't think <laughs> Power Rangers has had a like proper, I mean, they've had like quote unquote couples on screen yeah. but they haven't really had like a romance plot since like time force i think was the last time that they had like a romance plot yeah. well it's like so funny you say that because like my first like ship that i remember shipping as a child was tommy and kimberly like yeah. they were my ship and it's so weird that like that was something that was so like formative 
as a child and then it just died out of television like they just stopped with like cute ships and I'm like bring them back they fuel fandoms and make people want to watch your show more because they are invested and in, like more than just like the friendships but like the romance yeah. aspect of it like that's fun power rangers will will do that where they will very clearly be pairing two characters up but then like the spiciest that it's that it'll get will be like they might hug maybe <laughs> like and even then if they or hug it's like <laughs> if they hug it's like headlines across like all the fan sites and all the youtube videos and everything like okay dino fury we did we did have uh we did have a couple with uh i'm spacing on the izzy and why am I spacing on her name right now? Her girlfriend. That was like a proper, proper couple, but there was like, that was the spiciest that it got was again, hugs and some handholding. Uh, <laughs> so like, hey, I'm, I'm, just I'm, I'm just saying handholding can be very hot to watch. Hands are a thing, like a language, a film language that works so well. And I'm not going to make this about Raylo, but I'm going to say the hand touch in the last Jedi was one of the hottest scenes on television in years like I that's was, what i'm saying like and it goes back to like the pride and prejudice thing like where they touch hands and then like you see mr darcy like flexing his hand like hands can be such an intimate form of like language without actually committing to anything more i was so hoping that we could get through the discussion of ships without Raylo coming up but i guess i should have known never. better <laughs> never <laughs> We have one last top topic that we're going to talk about today. And this is one that I feel like you knew that we were going to talk about because <laughs> Maggie and I have been the the like sole voices of games on Collider Dailies. So, of course, we're going to talk about our top games of the year. Uh, so I'm going to start this off with uh, one that I actually... I for For a little bit when I was thinking about this yesterday, I forgot that it was released this year because it was released back in like March and this has been a year that's been like so long. And that's resident evil four remake. Uh, Oh, that came out this year. Yeah. It came out in like March. I, so here's the thing. I did not love resident evil four, the original one, as much as a lot of other people. I am very much like when it comes to resident evil series, I like one, two, and three. I like the tank control old school resident evil that that's always been my resident evil, but the remakes that Capcom have been doing, they have they have not missed yet. I even liked Resident Evil 3 remake. I know there's some people who are going to get angry at me for saying that I liked it, but I did. So when Resident Evil 4 remake came out, I wasn't as jazzed about it, but seeing as how it plays basically exactly the same as all the other remakes, I was absolutely hooked from beginning to end i have that is one of the few games in my steam library that i have a hundred percented gotten uh all of the steam achievements done everything that i could possibly do unlocked everything i i got separate ways the moment it was available did everything in that it is it is one of those games that i just i almost mindlessly did it like I was just so enthralled by it that there was no thoughts, just resident evil remake. <laughs> it was, it was just so good. And I had so much fun with it. Um, yeah. I don't know really what much more there is to say about it. It's resident evil Four remake. If you, if you've played it, you understand why it's in my top games of the year It's just absolutely brilliant. 
Well, I love that. So I had a really hard time coming up with three games because to be very honest, I have not played a lot of games this year. I've watched a lot of playthroughs of games because I just don't have time um, or resources to get all the games that interest me. So I had to narrow it down to just like the three games I actually played this year and not just like thought about or engaged with in other ways. Uh, so this is going to be a very, very basic answer for my first one here, which was Sims 4. I love Sims. Um, I kind of go through bouts where like I don't play Sims for like six months and then I play it for three months straight like every day and it's something that I very have to do like do in moderation um as somebody who went to school for like architecture and stuff like I love building houses in it um in fact Sim City was part of my urban planning class at uni uh so like I've actually played Sims for a um for a grade uh but I just love everything about Sims I also love like the mods and like doing crazy stuff and like breaking the game basically to have like as many people as possible in your house or like all sorts of like crazy stuff that you can do with sims i find it really fun i also liked a lot of the, the new packs that came out this year there were some really fun like new blankets and books and things like that that was something that you could only really get from modders before so it was really fun to actually have them as something you could you could unfortunately purchase um but it, it was fun and i have played it uh, way too much i have like eight thousand hours on sims 4 um, yeah, but that's like spread out of like a couple of years. It's still very bad, um, but it's just fun. I have a lot of fun with it. I also like just being chaotic and creating like underground prisons and like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's a thing. Like you just you you like set up scenarios and like build places I mean, to trap people and then remove I, the you know, guardrails. I do get it. I will say I don't play Sims Four personally because. When that game was released initially back in 2014, 2015. Yeah. It's been about a decade of playing Sims 4. Yeah. uh, I didn't like all of the features that Sims 4 stripped away from Sims 3. So I have actually never moved on from Sims 3. Uh, but I have I have probably thousands of hours in Sims 3. I don't Sims know. Sims 4 gave me horses finally, and so that made me happy because I'm a horse girl. You would be and a I horse could finally girl. own a ranch, and like it was great. And you could like do competitions and all sorts of stuff. So like that was when I was like, I'm playing Sims for like three months, nobody talked to me. Um, so yeah. Very white girl basic answer there, but whatever. It's okay. My next answer I feel like is gonna is very much a white boy basic answer. Uh, it is the game that caused me to actually finally break down and buy a PS five. Uh, it is Spider-Man two. I, Mm. I love the Spider-Man games, Spider-Man PS four, Spider-Man Miles Morales, both games that I have 100%ed multiple times, not just on PS four when I initially played them, but also when they got releases on PC, I then rebought them and re hundred percented them. Uh, so of course I was going to be all about this game. I will say that I I think story-wise, the first game was better than the second game, but the second game's gameplay improvements were enough to make it head and shoulders better than both the original game and Miles Morales. Uh, the movement in it is brilliant. It, it feels so free and you're able to just move about in any way that you possibly want to there it feels like there's very little limitations uh and it's just so much fun i adore everything to do with venom so as much as i feel like the story was it was very much shorter and it wasn't as like emotionally engaging 
as the first game story, I still loved it very much. Um, so of course it had to be one of my top games of the year. I will say though, those of you who are angry that it didn't win any awards at the game awards, tough. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> as someone who loved it, better. It name happens. Them. Them great lads. Yeah. Um. Maggie, what's next for you? So my number two is uh, also another very basic answer. Um, I don't play Switch a lot. I played Switch initially to do like um, Animal Crossing way after everybody was already done playing Animal Crossing. Uh, And then Hades, which I absolutely loved. Hades was like phenomenal game. But I started playing Disney Dreamlight this year on it, um, really at the start of the year. And then I sank too much time into it. And then I was like, I let my DS die, (laughs) like just let the battery charge out so I would stop playing it. It was like that bad. I have to like anybody who understands like hyper fixations knows that you have to hard stop sometimes. But I loved Disney Dreamlight so much to the point that I still sometimes go and watch other people playing it to like get my fix and not actually sink a lot of time into it again. Um, I just really enjoyed that game. I thought it was really fun. I It was kind of like Animal Crossing, but with like Disney characters. And like, I just really liked the vibes of it. I thought it was really fun. It kind of reminded me nostalgia wise, like Kingdom Hearts, because you're playing with all of the, like, these Disney characters and like solving things and like doing problems. And I just really enjoyed it. It was really fun. Um, I'm definitely not somebody I would call like a cozy gamer, but it was very in the the mind of like the cozy gamer. It was a perfect like spring game to play. Um, and I do now that it's like truly winter time, I'm starting to feel the itch to play it again. Uh, but I am trying to resist that urge um, because I've already sunk enough time into a, another game that I think we're both going to talk about here next. Speaking of urges, it's, it's quite the dark urge. <laughs> Uh, before before we get before we get into my top game, which is also going to be your top game, we we knew it was coming up. I do want to throw out one honorable mention that I feel like I would be doing a disservice to a lot of people in the one fandom that I am actually probably an active participant in. Uh, and I do need to shout out yet another rhythm game, Yarg. It is a fan project that was released in an attempt to uh, basically recreate Rock Band for the PC. Uh, it is so much fun. It is not yet perfect, but it is getting damn near close. And I applaud the efforts of the entire development team who are, you know, they're doing it in their free time. Uh, so, of course, I had to throw I had to throw Yarg out there. I had to show some love to Yarg. Uh, as much as I love Clone Hero, I so much prefer Yarg, uh, I'm, I, which makes sense. I'm more of a rock band player than I am a Guitar Hero player. So that had to be I was, what it is. I was a Guitar Hero girl. I play both, but I prefer rock band. Like, I can actually see my Guitar Hero guitar from where I'm sitting. Normally, in most normal episodes of dailies, when I'm at home and not at my parents' place, there is a guitar visible behind me at all times uh, because I do always have a guitar controller right there. Um, Just in case the the urge strikes you. Special shout out to uh, my friend uh, Guitars and Scarves who actually modded that guitar for me. If I had it, I would show you. It's very beautiful. She painted it and modified it and everything. It's it's super brilliant. Uh, But I don't have it, obviously. (laughs) But of course, my top game of the year, it's no surprise to anybody. It's Baldur's Gate 3. I feel like this is a game that is going to be pretty much everyone's top game of the year or at least damn near close this game is to me what video games should be 
full stop. Mm. It, it shows you what the medium is capable of and what I feel like, especially when it comes to AAA games, it is the standard by which we should judge all other games from here on out. It is so brilliant, so wonderfully crafted, so expansive. It is just, it is brilliant. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's going to be really hard for me to play other games after having this taste of Baldur's Gate 3 uh, because it has been just such a good experience. And I really like Larian. I think they seem to be a really good studio that has like both the best interest of fans, the best interest of stories and the best interest of their devs in mind when they are like creating. And that's something I really respect, like the way that that entire developmental team is like super active online and they're all really excited. And like, there's a sense of camaraderie that you don't necessarily see in other like dev teams because they're like, I think they actually got paid fairly well for what they like their work and like maybe their work-life balance was decently better than some other people who have, you know, suffered uh, underneath that uh, kind of the constraints of some of the bigger studio games. And I just think the story is like so wonderful and it does make me really sad that it, it doesn't necessarily sound like we'll get like a Baldur's Gate 4 anytime soon since they said that the people they worked with um, at Wizards of the Coast were all laid off by Hasbro. 1100 uh, like people that. laid off by Hasbro. It was not a fun time. Yeah, and I just can't imagine, like, obviously, I am not, you know, uh, uh, high up in some sort of corporation that my mind actually functions and doesn't just think of, like, weird bottom lines for myself. But I can't picture being somebody at Hasbro in a power, like, a position of power and being like, wow, this game that we helped make happen is, like, winning all of these awards and it's the talk of the town. So let's fire everybody who helped be the liaison for that here. Like, I just don't understand where that mindset comes from. At all. Well, like, I it's mean, just, it's bewildering. let's just ignore the fact that Wizards of the Coast is one of the few profitable parts of Hasbro's business portfolio, and yet yeah, they took a big brunt of the layoffs. Yeah, like Hasbro, uh, if you stopped making the same Stormtrooper every three months and acting like it was a new toy in the Black Series, like maybe you'd have enough money to pay Wizards of the Coast to like continue. And also, if it didn't have like terrible QA uh, problems where like the paint is all screwed up and weird, you know? Well, no, they don't have to worry about that because now they've hidden the toys behind paper boxes that we've, you can't see. We've so. talked about this on the episode before. I know. <laughs> it's, it's just so many weird unethical choices there that is makes me so sad because if I was somebody in a high up power position at Hasbro, I'd be like, what can we do to monopolize on all of these people who love this game that we have like a vested stake in? Like I would be making uh Baldur's Gate three action figures. I would be making like a, uh, like an animated series. I would like, there's so many things that I would be like chasing after and not. Hasbro is one of those companies that I love so much that they do. And mm -hmm. so much that they are responsible for. Because, again, getting back to uh, – I managed to bring up Power Rangers in all three of our discussions today. So I'm going to bring that back. That's another Hasbro property. Uh, they, yep. have a, they have a tendency – they own so many things that I love. Power Rangers, Magic the Gathering, Wizard, uh, obviously Dungeons and & Dragons. Uh, and yet they just – they they are maybe it's because I love their property so much that they are able to disappoint me so frequently. <laughs> Probably. But anyways, 
back on topic, Baldur's Gate 3 is... Baldur's Gate 3, am I right? <laughs> it's, it's just a fantastic game. It is probably... I don't think I have felt more free in a game than I have with Baldur's Gate 3, which is saying something because in the grand scheme of things, Baldur's Gate 3 is a rather linear experience, at least as far as where the story beats are. They're like the major plot Mm -hmm. beats that everyone's going to hit. There's no like roundabout ways to get to them. But the, the, the like in between moments are so open for what you're able to mm-hmm. do that I really do feel like I just got dropped off in a world and was just like, yeah, go whatever, do whatever it is that you know, you want to do. Cause yeah. you can approach things in so many different ways. That's what I love. Like I have 20 playthroughs and not a single one of them has had the exact same thing happen. Like you can skip entire like spots of stuff and then like jump around and like it's like it changes things and i love that it does feel limitless to an extent because you can make tiny small choices that don't come back to bite you in the butt until act three and i just i love that no wonder you haven't had time to play any other games 20 playthroughs i like creating characters and like then romancing gale over and over again have you you have you done playthroughs where you've romanced each of the different options or you just keep doing the same romance options every time okay so i have romanced gale in the majority of my playthroughs i did romance uh asterian and halson in one of my regular tav playthroughs and now in my current dirge playthrough which is also my extremely cursed playthrough gale was too mad at me for me to pursue him the way I had planned. Uh, and so I went after Asterian because Halson's not going to be an option uh, this playthrough. Um, but then after I got with Asterian, Gail was like, what about me? And I was like, dude, I would have chosen you. So far on my playthroughs, so, I have romanced uh, Shadowheart, Carlac, and sense. Will. Shadowheart is sense. my girl. That makes sense. I plan to do Will in my next playthrough. I think I'm going to try to avoid getting Gale first and go straight to the um, Tiefling camp to the the Druid thing and find him and then come back for Gale to kind of like forestall. You just need to to do a playthrough where you just absolutely ignore Gale. I know it's probably going to physically pain you. It's going to be physically painful. (laughs) Because if you don't, you're probably going to accidentally wind up romancing him anyways. Well, they did fix his accidental bug, thank God, so people could stop complaining about that. But I love him so much. I love him so much. <laughs> you know what I, I love? love? That wizard. I loved our discussion with Tim Downey about Gale. I know. And about everything. You should he check did. out that interview. You should also check out our interview with Neil Newbon, who uh, you know voices Astarian. Both of those interviews, absolutely brilliant. Highlights of the year for me. Uh, absolutely. So that's uh, that's all that we have for our show today. Maggie, is there anything that you want to plug that maybe went up yesterday? Oh, yeah. Funny little thing went up yesterday. Um, my Daniel Brule interview is up over on Collider Interviews and on Collider.com. Check it out. I think it was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with him. Uh, and I'm very excited for people to see Race for Glory that comes out on January 5th. I actually wrote up my review for it yesterday on Christmas. Uh, so I'm. it was really good. I think it's going to obviously get kind of buried in like the post-holiday, very early January. But I'm hoping it's going to have a bit of a, a Gran Turismo kind of vibe where once it goes to streaming, it's going to be like number one wherever it lands. Because as you saw, Gran Turismo, as soon as it 
ended up on Netflix. It was like in the top five for weeks because it's a good movie. Uh, so hoping the same thing happens for uh, Race for Glory because I thought it was great. Yeah, so go ahead and check out her interview with Daniel Brühl. Uh, I watched a little bit of it. I haven't watched all of it yet. Watched all of it. <laughs> but but the bit that I have watched was a very insightful interview. And of course, Maggie kills it like she always does. Uh, Thank you. So you can be sure to tune in to dailies throughout the rest of the week. We're going to be doing more and more of these top lists on different episodes leading up to our final episodes of the week, which are going to be each pairing is going to be revealing their top movies of the year. So uh, be sure to tune in for all of that until next time, though. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you later. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.